Around the NFL Podcast. Wish they had a Chipotle burrito named after them. <laughs> Welcome to, a, yeah, that's true. To another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name's Dan Hansis. I come to you from a virtual room filled with some heroes. Greg Rosenthal, Mark Sessler. Boys, it's, it's Monday. Uh, but I want to start Monday with a nice story. This is Shoot. a good one. Last week on the podcast, we were talking about uh, whispers, training camp whispers, and we got to the Whisper. Cincinnati football franchise, and we started talking about Joseph Burrow and what's going on with him, and then it kind of delved into, can you trust the Cincinnati Bengals to handle this the right way, the special talent? We're a little bit worried about the Bengals uh, based on their history, history of struggles. And uh, during that conversation, Wes came up, as he often does when we're talking to Bengals, and uh, we're talking about when I tried to, I was trying to woo Wes back to the Bengals, and it just never worked out. And then the dossier came up, the Chris Wesseling Bengals dossier came up, the one that he cataloged years of frustrations um, with the Bengals and the incompetence, in his opinion, of the organization and how it was run, which led to him divorcing himself uh, from the team. So, nice conversation. Good to bring up Wes. We, the show goes on. So then, tugboats on the Peloton. Because sometimes the tugboats got to get on the Peloton. You, uh, you are a tugboat for listeners that might be Greg, do you, not, coming do you back. not know that all the listeners know I'm tugboat now? That thing is taken off. It really is. It's some, gone into the skies. Some just, you know, they hop in and out. They're, they're coming back for the regular season. We see those numbers skying. skying. All right. Wow. Tugboat is the new old blue eyes. Tugboat is the old Zeuser. Tugboat is Daddy Rich. I think you just went seventh person somehow. <laughs> four times four. Anyway, so it's training camp for all of us, and I'm on the Peloton, and I get a phone call while I'm on the bike. It's Lakeisha. Lakeisha Jackson Wesley. And she's a little bit out of breath, and she sounds upset. And I'm like, what's going on, Lakeisha? Is everything okay? Lakeisha says she was just listening to the podcast, that day's podcast, and she was just about to get home. And she said, what did the dossier look like? And I said, it was like a lot of pages. It was probably like six to 10 inches thick. It was probably in a folder. And she's like, oh, my God. I was cleaning out Wes's desk uh, today because it was the Culver City office was closed down last week for NFL Network. And I didn't know what it was. And I have such a challenge trying to figure out what to keep and what not to keep uh, with Wes because he had so many papers. And I put it in the trash. Ooh. She didn't know what it was, and she only knew what it was because, or it only rang a bell, because somehow the dossier came up on that day's podcast. So we start figuring out, oh, what do we got to do? She was going to pick up a link from daycare. It's like, uh, should I go back uh, to the office? Can you go back to the office? We got to get to the trash can before the people come by and pick things up and take it to the dumpster. Long story short, Lakeisha gets back to the office just in time. Scoops up the dossier. Look at this. Now, in my hands right now is the iconic Chris Wessling divorces the Bengals dossier. (laughs) Thousand pages deep. And how um, how many you think? It's gotta be hundreds. Oh, more than it's I would say it's probably I don't know, five hundred pages. 
That's a, a <laughs> and, thick. That's a very thick file right there. And this was a beautiful thing to go through because, uh, as we know, Wes had many jobs. He wasn't just the mailman. He he also worked at a law office for a while, and I'm sure a part of that, a lot of his, he was tasked with doing researching, and you could see that in his history because he has all these articles and he's highlighted <laughs> things that really stood out to him. I mean, we're going years and years and years of this. Uh, the first article took. The first article he saved was from September of 1999 and uh, about how Mike Brown and the the Bengals were behind the times in terms of the structuring and how to be a successful franchise because at that point it had been 10 years since Super Bowl 23 and they weren't adapting. And then it goes all the way to about 2002. And I believe this, uh, and we can, we will never know for sure, but I believe the reason West stopped at this point he has a bunch of articles about the 2002 Bengals who were 0-7 and they were facing the expansion Houston Texans in week eight and they guaranteed victory over the Texans. Oh and he was so disgusted by that <laughs> that he had multiple articles printed up and then columnists from the Cincinnati area all fired up about that and it stops there. And um, just That was one... it. They didn't need to build the case anymore. He was <laughs> no. officially No, I think the done. case was strong. Very strong case. So then, yeah, because I was curious when it began and when it ended. So it started with Sean Keeler for the Cincinnati Post in September 99. It ended in 2002. And then just like, you know, these things with Wes, and we miss him so much. We had a great weekend together. Our, our California family was Jack's birthday party. So we had a nice little pool party, all of us together um, with our families um, Mark, Greg, and a bunch of other people. And, uh, and then yesterday, Lakeisha joined my family and uh, JB Long of the Rams and his family. And we were at this uh, concert in the park. It was real nice. It was a real nice family. And I got to the last page of the dossier and, and I see that he actually had printed out um, in 2015, the thing I'm most proud of writing on the website is the power rankings. Uh, not the power, power rankings, the pain rankings. And he never told me this. The one thing he did tell me, and it always stuck with me because you guys know it, nothing was better than getting a compliment from Chris. And he had told me how he really liked how the pain rankings uh, column came out. It was like a seven-part series, and he really liked the writing, and that meant a lot to me. And sure enough, he had printed it out, all the co- and he had underlined and highlighted <laughs> things from the, the pain rankings. Aww. And he never mentioned that to me. I didn't know that he had kept it in his own files and like saved all the different things he liked. And when he got to the bangles, he had notes in the margins uh, to talk about the things he agreed with and didn't agree with. And that was just like, that got me. Um, and uh, made me pretty emotional this morning. And I called Lakeisha right away. But uh, I just think it's an amazing, okay, coincidence you want to call it. Uh, but is there something more at play with this? Because this was in a garbage can. We had not brought up the dossier in probably a year on this podcast. I, I would guess something like that. It just not happens more. to come up randomly on Wednesday's show. The same day, Lakeisha had a very difficult task in what's been a year of difficult tasks, which is, you know, we all had to go to the office in Culver City and clear out our desks for the move to Inglewood. And Wes's desk was there the whole time. And, uh, you know, we all looked at it, and I, I did, and, it was, and, and, and that was one of Lakeisha's things she had to do was go through that desk. And that day we talked about it. She found this, didn't know what it is, threw it out, but happened to listen to the podcast and was able to retrieve it. And this is the most treasured document in mm. the history of the Around the NFL podcast, and now it is safe forever. How about that story? We have to go back 
Erica, you know, was not around with the podcast back then. Lakeisha was not around with the podcast back then when that dossier first come, came uh, out. I would love to go find that episode because it was <laughs> it was so West. It's so hilarious. I, I think we believed him that he had the dossier. Like, of course, we believed him. Um, but it was just like amazing to see it in person. Uh, and it doesn't surprise me all the highlighting and all the notes like that's something I've gotten from Wes. Like everything he read, his books, they're all underlined. They all have notes in the margin for him. Reading it was a, very much like a participatory sport, uh, which is so cool. And and you're right. It's crazy. Like if Keisha doesn't listen to that, she said she basically got back there minutes before they were like closing down for the day and letting employees back in. And then and then that was it. And here it is. I don't I don't know where uh, we should put that. But that is awesome that he had the, the pain rankings in there. Maybe he he had that in there like it was it was like going to be more proof if we ever try to get him back on the Bengals you know, bandwagon and be like, see, Dan, you wrote this back back then. I am not going back on the bandwagon. Uh, yeah. And I told I asked Lakeisha, um, you know, I sought her permission on it because I wanted to show it to the audience that are watching on YouTube and if we put it up on social. Uh, but I, I promised to get it back to her because uh, it belongs with Lakeisha in, in the Wessling house. Uh, but that was really nice. And I do, I mean, listen. That episode, could, by the way, might be 2013. I, I wouldn't be surprised I mean, it me goes if it was way our, fir- back to the beginning our very of first show. Our very first season when we first did that, yeah. And I know, you know, Lakeisha is a spiritual person. And Wes, we've talked, we talked about it. We saved it for the theology podcast that never came to pass, but he was someone that was searching and, and had questions about, you know, what it is, what happens after, uh, your time on this earth is through. And, you know, I I have the same questions I think about that. And then something like that happens is like, I guess it's all coincidence, but I don't know, Mark. There've been other things. Um, Lakeisha has noted that. You know, butterflies were a symbol between her and Wes, and butterflies have been appearing in her yard left and right. They they were at your pool party, um, a series of them flying around. I've been seeing them in my yard. Uh, I will say one thing, though. I think when you lose a wonderful friend, you know, sometimes you can tilt to just talking about all the positives. And and I just will note on that Bengals um, folder and the work he did that one, the, one of the biggest arguments that Wes and I ever got into was when I had the um, the gall um, you know, years after that binder had been discussed to, you know, and the Browns were going through their deep hell and it was like, you know, why don't you just dump a team like this? You're wasting your time. And in reverse, I kind of said like, no, you know what? I'm not jumping off my team just because they're going through some rough, uh, some rough patches, some skids. And I kind of insinuated that Wes had done that. And it was like, listen, if you've ever gotten into a little bit of an, a, a, a tiff with Wes where he's not going to move one inch on his ground, he basically gave me a look like, don't even try it with me. Like the, my divorce with the Bengals is so absolutely rocked in gold and complete fact. And I'm never, never going to be moved. I said, I'm never touching this topic ever again. So I have, you know, it was, there was a lot that went on around that whole Bengals thing. <laughs> absolutely. It is certainly uh, a part of the history of this show anyway. So that was, uh, that was pretty wild. And um, we have a nice show coming up today. You, you depend on us listeners for, Um, steady-handed takes on the NFL. And that's not typically what happens coming out of week one of the preseason where people want to make, you know, crazy and and snap judgments about players and teams based on a a really pretty silly football games. Um, That's not what we're going to do. But we are going to try to help by explaining what mattered in week one of preseason action. 
Um, me, you guys know me. I care about the final scores. I look at those preseason standings. <laughs> yes, and you I do. really study yeah. them. But for the most part, um, the other way to look at it is it's more uh, nuance in terms of figuring out what to take out of the action rather than the mm. results. Um, Bill well, Parcells. As, so- as someone who is into the standing so much, Dan, mm-hmm. are you aware of the historic streak that one team is on right now? One of the most storied streaks in the history of our sport. Um, no, I, I'm ashamed to say I don't know where you're going with this. The Ravens this week have a chance to win their 19th straight preseason <laughs> game, tying the all-time record set by Vince Lombardi's Packers um, back in the day. They have somehow won 18 straight preseason games. That's incredible. Uh, after after wow. Trace McSorley... Uh, led them to a comeback touchdown late in their game uh, over the weekend. Do you hang a banner for that kind of achievement? I mean, the Colts feel like they might they might well, hang a banner in se- celebration that, in, of such. In some ways, if you really wanted to kind of study it, more unlikely than going seventeen and zero. Yes, yes. Because think of all the. Ra- I would love to go back and see the random moments of third teamers versus third teamers, which is how they won this last game. By the way, they were down in that game and. It was like you know deep backups who, who came back to win that game, but uh, yeah, it's it's the most random thing ever. Because it, Lombardi it really was a nut, and it was a different era, so I'm sure like they were, they had Bart Starr like doing QB sneaks. Uh, late they were in the all fourth playing, yeah. Those games. yeah, yeah, played for games. But now uh, some teams do take it more seriously now. than others, and the Ravens and the Patriots, and there are teams I think that you can see it by who plays their starters. They do take it more serious, so it's a little less random, but still, that's it's insane. But basically what we're going to try to do is Bill Parcells, one of my favorite Parcells-isms, don't tell me about the labor, show me the baby. No, this is the inverse. We're going to tell you all about the labor. The baby don't matter. We don't care about the baby. Get rid of the baby. Send it off to an orphanage. Fine. Good luck to you, baby, and your life, whatever happens to you. (laughs) We're also going to bring back the hot butt thermometer. Yes. For NFL head coaches, who's safe? Who's in a little bit of danger? Whose butt is on fire? Going through it. One, one through 32. We're going to figure that out. Um, uh, who, are the, who are the coaches to keep an eye on in terms of job security entering 2021? Not as many as usual. That's my preview. That's, that's my bigger Yeah, it's a shorter list. Takeaway. I thought the same thing. We're going to get into that in a few minutes, but let's start, yes, with preseason week one. Everyone in action. Uh, you have the Hall of Fame game between Dallas and Pittsburgh, but this was the week where all 32 uh, kicked off uh, their um, preseason slates. Now it's three games for the first time. It had been four, and previous to that, six. Uh, now it's three, and who knows where it goes from here, but... So each game matters a lot internally for these teams. And let's share uh, some things that you really, you know, should care about. The things that mattered. Greg, get us going. I'll start with the Patriots, you know, quarterback battle because, you know, it's one of the few positions that's up for grabs with a team that, you know, has a chance, I think, to make the playoffs this year. And I, I thought Mac Jones playing with the starting group that the offensive line starters stayed out there with Mac Jones when he came on for his first series mattered that you know as Bill Belichick has shown throughout this camp he's giving Mac Jones a legit chance to start and then more importantly I think Mac Jones backed up what everyone said about him during training camp the numbers didn't jump off the page um, but I think 
this is one where it really helped to watch because uh, he just was very comfortable running the offense, um, made good throws, made good decisions, made quick decisions. And almost the entire camp, everything I'm reading from Greg Bedard and Boston Sports Journal and Tom Curran and all these different writers, Mike Reese, like it was all sort of backed up in this preseason game where Cam, for the most part, looked good, um, but is like a little slower making decisions. And there's always like one player like, huh, what happened there? And then that Mac Jones looked like he belonged. And I don't want to take too much from it. it it's early. But Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio were throwing a lot at both quarterbacks. That really makes a difference, I think, in evaluating it. That was one team that was blitzing and doing all this stuff. And Mac Jones, I think, really does have a chance to start week one. And if he doesn't, he's playing well enough. And if he keeps it up, that it's just like he's putting that tape out there to start week three. Like he, gonna, he is he's backing that up. I'm going to piggyback off that real quick, because I think all the first round rookies had positive starts here. Um Mac Jones, he looks exactly like the type of QB prospect that Belichick's been looking for since Jimmy Garoppolo. And Greg, we, we talked about it at Saturday's pool party for the young Jack Hansis, uh, that, you know, New England's on fire with this guy. This I have is- mixed feelings about this. When, when the crowd started going a little too nuts for Mac Jones coming in, I'm just like, why does this yeah. give me such conflicting feelings? But it I does. think I know why. But, uh, Anyway, so Mac Jones, he looked like he he looked like he's the guy that's going to be playing meaningful snaps this year. Um, real quick, I'll just cycle through it. Trey Lance uh, with that rollout and then throwing across the field, the 80-yard touchdown. Uh, Justin Fields with the TD pass and the TD scramble after he replaced Andy Dalton. Zach Wilson, after some hiccups in the week leading up to this game, he looked poised, led the Jets on two scoring drives against the Giants. And Trevor Lawrence uh, bounced back from that early sack and uh, led the team and just, I mean, has anyone passed the look test more than Trevor Lawrence coming into the league? The guy already looks like a star and maybe that doesn't translate, but I just have no concerns that Trevor Lawrence is not going to continue to get better as his rookie season continues. Well, I think Lawrence was put under a lot of pressure in that game against the Browns. And I mean, I thought of, of all the group and it just there's weeks to go to me. It was Justin Fields just absolutely um, you're talking about someone that cannot be suppressed. There's something about the way he throws the ball, and I kind of remember mentioning this on his pro day that was paired with Mac Jones. Um, you know, on multiple hour to hour, I just think the way he throws the ball is just something that even a, like a young child, not you know, a watcher of football, could just see the beauty of it. And the one thing I liked about him, he got off to a bit of a slow start, and he worked his way out of it. And there was a comment that I read in the Athletic from his high school coach who, you know, obsessively watches all his stuff. He said, his, the coach's name is Matt Dickman. He said, it felt exactly like always. He kind of gets the feel of things, and then he takes off after that. And you could just see him grow in confidence throughout that game. And if you're a Bears fan, uh, I mean, you just have not seen this from the quarterback position in decades and decades and decades. And he completely changes the complexion of that team. And here's another guy, you know, he won't be starting week one, apparently. It's just a matter of time because he is the counter opposite visually and athletically, especially on the move and what he can do with his legs and how he's so quickly and easily through the ball on the move. Andy Dalton is fine. He's fine. That's the ceiling. He, he can't do any <laughs> of this stuff. Like, you cannot, the fan base is going to go literally nuts if Justin Fields is sitting on the sideline as he was warming up. That home crowd was going literally crazy. It was going crazy. They have been waiting for this forever. The preseason crowds have been going nuts. I have noticed, I think, you know, people missed being at football games last year. 
I went sense. to the Rams Chargers. Even even that crowd you know, was getting into fights and going fairly nuts for like a bunch of backups. Were you near uh, that fight, Craig? I, I was nowhere that, near. I was, I was not was, aware of that until know. Twitter the next day. Um, I, I, I was not. Were you, uh, were you involved with any of those? I was not involved. I was not there. I did. Um, we did get on the jumbotron very quickly, which is the big has to be the biggest jumbotron in the league. That's like wrapping around. It's it's wild. Fields, by the way, I think he has a shot Wait, to start you week know, one. Throw some respect yeah. to the Mercedes Benz Stadium in Atlanta. There, no, they, this they thing now. Design. This thing now. Now they've been to both because it goes all around and it's so big. It, I think it's it's different. I, it's bigger. I think Fields has a shot to start week one, but he has to play. He has to improve each week. He's a you know he holds the ball forever and and he was pl- making plays and you're right his arm is just like so obvious and he re- you know he's reminiscent of Russell Wilson a little bit but uh, he's not going against Matt Flynn to get the starting job so I think he'll have to kind of like make steps each week I thought you know this was up and down he made plays also made uh some some mistakes I but the arm like like Zach Wilson's arm, you must have been excited seeing the the two third and long completions. Just like seeing the arm strength from Zach Wilson right on the money is like yeah. awesome to see. He's got you it. know you just you can't really teach that. Trey Trey Lance was the same. Trey Lance probably had the most hiccups, but that was another one that was good to watch because like their offensive line couldn't block anybody, and it I think was a reminder to John Lynch. A we don't necessarily have to start Trey Lance. You know they did have five. I think he had seven drives and they had about four or five first downs. So he made some really good plays. Um, but like he got killed in that game. Like he well, the got Chiefs hit had really like hard. Starting three... defensive line out there. Right. He got hit really hard three or four times though. If you're it, first of all, he's got to try to avoid taking some of these hits. And then secondly, if you're a 49ers coach or GM, it's like, well, that's why we keep Jimmy Garoppolo no matter what. <laughs> Cause like one of those hits could go the wrong way. And it, it was a little scary to watch. Josh Johnson, who was picked up um, by the Jets as a veteran to put in that QB room, he's been on 13 teams in 14 <laughs> years. How about that? That kind of goes under the radar how long he's been around, even if he's never stuck anywhere. Uh, he, he called Wilson special, and he, he, he said it reminds him of Aaron Rodgers. So, listen, that doesn't mean Zach Wilson's going to be Aaron Rodgers, but he has that unique arm talent. That's why the Jets fell in love with him, and to, hit, to them was the clear number two after Trevor Lawrence. Uh, how about you, Mark? Um, I, I want to take a look at the... I wanted to t- see what was going on with Tua. And, and I saw a, a different Tua to some degree. Um, he threw a bit of a killer interception at the end. He tossed it into double coverage in the end zone. But I saw more decisive throws. Um, I would go look at, A, the rope he threw to Mike Kosicki, who is going to be awesome this season. He was good last year, too. Um, but then he had a, a throw to Mac Hollins. Um, classic super right into a tight window. I thought it showed guts. Um, decisiveness, some of the stuff we weren't seeing last year. And you can, and it's hard to tell what that offense is going to look like. We know it's different because we've talked to people close to the team on that one. Um, but it's going to be deeper throws. It's going to be more aggressive. And I think that it was a good first step for two. If you're a Dolphins fan, you've been concerned about kind of where he's at mentally and stuff. He looks sharper to me. He looked like he was ready to go, and he made a couple great throws. They need to I get him Will on my Fuller list, back on the field. You know, Will Fuller hasn't practiced like all of training camp. That sound familiar, Uh-oh. Texans fan? Devontae Parker has been banged up most of training camp. That sounds familiar. It's like it, they want to get those guys back on the field. But by yeah, the way, I totally Will Fuller, agree. not for nothing. And I'm a Will Fuller fan as a player. He's always, I think, been a little underrated. But like, so frustrating. He he finally stayed healthy last year, and I was like, oh, but he didn't finish the season. Oh, he had a PED bust. So I was like, did he stay healthy because he was on PEDs? Uh, we don't know, but. The fact that he's gone right back to having injury issues. Yeah, Tua was on my list too, Mark, because 
Uh, he had a three and out, and then he completed eight straight passes. And like Gasecki passes a beautiful touch pass that went for 50 yards, as you mentioned. It is a shame that his day ended on the interception because if he if he doesn't make that mistake and he punches the ball in, two is a major talking point this week uh, about how big his day is. But if you watched it, you see the positives there. They outgained Chicago 215 yards, 79 in the first half. And I just love Then Jake Brisket comes in and it's like a reminder. Oh, yeah. Smart, smart move by the Dolphins. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Let him go elsewhere and get a really steady, non-glamorous backup in there so Tua can be completely free of any of that concern. I I just think he's being set up well. I don't know about the co-offensive coordinators thing, and I still, even after uh, we talked to Cam Wolf, our new NFL Network reporter that does a lot of Dolphins coverage, I didn't come out of that conversation uh, feeling like, oh, they have this figured out because there's still got to be somebody, the Batman to the Robin and it's somebody. It's got to be Godsey. I think not that it makes a huge difference, right. but I'm, I'm pretty sure Godsey is the one. We'll see that how said, this works. Though, the, the nugget but, about um, having yeah. two in Corona time. I mean, the, the Colts were without their defensive coordinator this weekend because he was, there was some sort of Corona scenario going on. So I would maybe have two of every coach. They just double that staff, get, <laughs> you know, let expensive. the owner pay for it. And well, but then you, what happens is if you get two of every coach, follow along here, Mark, at the team facility, all of a sudden you have double the people. And the whole reason you have two of every coach is because of coronavirus. And now you've doubled the capacity of your building. I mean, maybe you just, that defeats the whole purpose. You, you ever think about mm. that in times of the Delta variant, Mark? I, did you ever I did. think I about may, that? I maybe didn't follow it through to its final conclusion, but it's not, it wouldn't be unnatural to have kind of the 1B coach um, home on Zoom, doing stuff on Zoom. Yeah, we don't need why, your physical body with us. That's why you got two Belichicks in New England. Um, that mullet <laughs> that you tweeted out is looking good on Steve. So he's it's the backup nice. if, if anything happens. So, he's committed well. to it. I'll give him that. What else, Greg? I'll, I'll throw out one um, of the Broncos offense that I really thought KJ Hamler and then especially Javante Williams have so much juice. And this was a Wesism. The preseason's all about like the rookie running backs because they more than anyone, they, they are all about the eye test. Javante Williams was my favorite running back coming in to this draft. And just seeing him behind that offensive, he's such like a perfect zone, like cutback runner. You could see the vision. You could see the explosion. That is an awesome one-two punch with Melvin Gordon, who's banged up again. And it's good to have someone with him. I think Melvin Gordon's weirdly underrated at this point. And like, you can just tell Javante Williams is going to be a player. And KJ Hamler, he's a light guy, but he, in theory, is their fourth receiver. And I mean, he has got jets. Not, you know, He had the 80-yard touchdown. And there's another couple plays there where like, he is someone that's sort of uncoverable in these training camp practices. And if you just line up all the weapons, man, it, it's almost like they're too good to fail. It's all there. I, I know I'm not going to go crazy that Locke and Teddy played great uh, against backups playing fairly vanilla. Like it's it, To me, it's just like Hamler and Javante Williams are a reminder that they go seven, eight deep of pretty fun weapons there, uh, the, the Broncos. I'm all in on the Broncos making the playoffs. <laughs> Sounds familiar. But no, you're right. You're right. This is all set up. They're set up well for a 10 or 11 win season and being one of these AFC wild cards. If they could just get steady play out of quarterback, right? They can like, survive. They can survive yeah. an injury or two. You know, they had a lot last year and it's like they can lose a tight end. They can lose a receiver. They can even lose a running back and they still have like and great. This other the, guys. Even for a, a pessimist like me with that QB room, the ceiling for Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater is to me steady play. So like it's not out of like the uh 
realm of outcomes here that they they play well to their abilities within this offense surrounded by good talent. So, yeah, I think if you're a Denver fan, you have a lot of reasons to be optimistic, even though in the back of your mind, you're wondering if you've been left vulnerable again uh, by the decision. There is a world, too, where where Locke is someone we just don't know yet, that maybe he makes even more of a leap beyond steady. I don't see that yet, but I will say something. I thought he threw the ball really well in that game. It's a small sample size, but the whole quarterback scenario looked a little cleaner than it has in a while in Denver, but... You know, Uh-oh. against the, well, they were see, well, no, no, no but they're in trouble here. I, it's not against first teamers. I'm just yeah, saying that's why, that's why I went not, with the skill guys. I went with the skill right. guys because I really do think you could see Javante Williams and Hamler and be like, "Ooh, those guys are fun." There's another sure world the though where they both yeah. threw two interceptions and everyone's melting. They were they were clean and steady, sure. which is all we're yeah, asking were for. So, good. um, oh, my favorite part of the summer with these preseason games is that a lot of the games are um, covered by local TV. Um, you don't mm-hmm. have national networks covering this game. So to build out a broadcasting roster, you got all sorts of people coming from all over the place. And the Minnesota Vikings, uh, they had a uh, I don't know actually who it is. And the question asked is not a bad one, although what I'm getting at overall is that sometimes you have people that aren't really equipped to be handling NFL coverage, uh, doing NFL coverage. But in this case, the question was fine enough. It was Zimmer's answer that just reminded me a why I like Mike Zimmer a lot and B, why some guys get what the preseason's about and some guys maybe don't. Zimmer gets it, and he keeps it real. Play that back, Ricky. Early on, but there were some good things that you saw at the end of the half. What did you tell your guys? Uh, I told them it was a a very poor performance. We're going to scrimmage next week with this same bunch because we didn't tackle well. We made the wrong checks on uh, defense with the safeties. Uh, We throw an interception for a touchdown. Um... To go three and out the first two series, terrible punts. So other than that, it's been great. <laughs> he's not going. He's not going to humor the uh, no the sideline interviewer and, and go along with the line of questioning. He was not happy with the first half of the Minnesota Vikings. He was given a a total softball, and he completely refused to play ball. Well, while we're while we're talking preseason um, announcers, I do have something that I don't know if we're going to do it weekly, but I I like to call it my uh, the Ron Wolfley moment of the week from the Great Ooh. Cardinals preseason announcer. Of course, for you, that was just every down. You know what? Honestly, I wish I had one on right now so I'd let you pull it down over the bridge of my <laughs> nose, get a little blood flowing up here. Automatic first down. <laughs> what? It needed a little context and it went back too far, but he, he was talking about just having a, a helmet uh, on and and uh, his announcer was like, oh, yeah, you should have one on, too. He's like, yeah, I wish someone would just, you know, slam that helmet over the bridge of my nose and get the I blood mean, most of his most of his alive. comments come with no context, actually. So <laughs> right. it, you'll just it get really that was. out of nowhere. Well, it really cracked me up because the guy's response was like. All right, setting up for first down. He had no, res- <laughs> no response to just wanting a lot of blood on all over him in the booth. <laughs> uh, like that Andrew WK album cover, just woefully yeah. just covered in his own blood. Any- anything else? I have great, a quick one. I, I don't think I've talked about the Browns um, in, in ages because I, it's like every, every don't it's apologize, like, oh, Mark. No, no, no. Don't I want to tell you about. I Mark, don't know no, if there is a, no a more needed. Just launch into your Browns take. Well, it just I don't know if there is a more buzzy player that I've experienced in Browns, Browns camp since maybe back when like Josh Cribbs started to become a star. Donovan Peoples-Jones has been written up day after day 
is someone who is, as a wide receiver, maybe the future of that wide receiver room because they're going to have like 30 million tied up in their veterans next season. Beckham, I'm not sure he'll be back, but Peoples Jones has made plays every game or every practice. And in the game, he did the same thing against the Jaguars. Another guy, their second round rookie who could have been a first rounder, linebacker Jeremiah Owosu Koromoa, joke. Um, look to me, it kind of was had a Micah Parsons feel to me. His speed, some a clo- go watch a play where he had a close. He, had a, he came in like in, on four yards. It took him like maybe a second to travel four yards. It looked like kind of a like a Madden guy on super jets or super engines. I don't know. It was exciting to watch. Like I think he's going to be a big part of that defense. He didn't play a ton in that game, but his role is expanding. He was out for like ten days because of Corona and has come back and looked incredible to me. 15 and 2, 16 and 1. Where do you see No, I'm down? not saying that. It's just that, you know, finally, after like 18,000 hey. terrible years, draft yeah. some young guys that are developing. Like, you, it's about time. Uh, DPJ, as I call him, is uh, my Elijah Moore uh, this summer, where it's like all the beat reporters are on fire about it. I'm looking at the depth chart there. Beckham, obviously, is the big mystery piece there. Um, he's coming back from the ACL. Jarvis Landry, he's been a great signing. Uh, by Cleveland and and he'll continue to be locked and loaded there. You got Rashard Higgins. Like where does is Peoples Jones going to you think get enough playing time to make the impact that he can? Well, I'm not calling him like a I don't think he's someone you go draft like high up in fantasy or something. It's just that, you know, coming out of Michigan, it was like there were a lot of people loved his athleticism and then into what they'd get from him last year. He started to make plays down the stretch and it's like he's just completely picking up where he left off. So I can see his role just expanding. It's also like he's a second-year player. There may be no Beckham next year. I mean, I think he, he will be a starter next season. Makes sense. Hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Exciting David times. And jo- David and Joku hype. There, there's a lot of hype for the, for the depth of the Browns. If, if we're wrapping up here, I'll just go quickly. Nel- Nelville Gallimore is the best defensive tackle on the Cowboys and is now out six weeks with like a broken elbow. Like that already was a major Ouch. problem for them. They've, they've had some bad luck just as they're getting some of their bigger name um, guys back. And then we should point out like the Colts quarterback battle, which we've been bagging on the whole time. Jacob... Eason probably had more great throws this week than any of those rookie quarterbacks we mentioned. It's just, I, I, he's the type of quarterback I always am wrong about. He's like the Mike Glennon, Zach Mettenberger. He's going to throw like four throws a game where you're like, oh my God, that was amazing. But you can see why like Frank Reich likes him. And supposedly that was better than any practice he's ever had, which, you know, that's kind of what you want out of, out of them. He, he came out and he made some awesome throws. He, he, he's going to miss a few. And then, and then Ellinger came in and, like, you know, from people who have uh, watched them a lot at Texas, they were like, that's better than any game he ever had at Texas. Like, they both played great in that game, I would say, c- compared to expectations. If I'm a Colts fan, though, I'm almost worried that, like, if they play too well, any thought of picking up another veteran is out the window, and it could be fool's gold. I tend to think it won't go as well the next two weeks. Uh, well, the Panthers the were playing deep backups, and they were not one of those teams that were sending blitzes and doing all sorts of stuff on defense. Well, I was just going to say, like, the the Colts are a total mystery with the quarterback situation because you've heard the reports out there, I think it was from Jay Glazer, that the 5- to 12-week timetable for Carson Wentz might be closer to 5, and then if you, if you apply that, maybe he's right there up against week 1 or close to it. But then the owner, Jim Irsay, um, came out th- uh, this past week and said they're, we're not going to rush uh, Wentz back to play, and I think that certainly carries some weight and tells you maybe something. So we don't really know 
how long I, I think that's maybe why I'm a little hands off uh, on the whole, like what's going on with the Colts backups. Cause I'm not totally sure how much it, it's going to matter. And cause it all depends on when Wentz comes back. Well, it, to, to me, it matters. Cause if he got, is Wentz going to stay healthy even, even well, when he gets out, that's fair. Too. But, but if Eason, if Eason plays two more weeks like that, there's no doubt they're not going to get a veteran and they're they're He's going to start week one. He, he did everything he could in that game. Just I don't know what veteran is. They're going to go get off the street. That's going to play better than he did yesterday. And Jim Ursay, the owner of the team, I mean, this is out of context, but he had a quote that I saw on Good Morning Football where basically he talked about Sam Ellinger as a team kind of finding Tom Brady late in a draft, that maybe that's what's happened to us. Again, they have talked about Ellinger Heads as off. being like super, super buzzy. I'm not, I'm not saying, Dan, that I think that this is like this is the next Tom I'm Brady. Saying, I'm saying I'm hands you know, off on this. I, this I know. This stuff doesn't interest me like the owner <laughs> saying the seventh round pick is Tom Brady. Like the whole Colts quarterback thing is so murky to me that I'm just like, I don't know. Someone I'm more attaching it to like when they say that Ellinger has, you know, high up executives buzzing inside the building. To me, there's something going on there where, you know, they're not, they're not looking for a veteran. They must like these two guys more than the average person seems. They're to. giving him first team reps throughout this week and he might get the start in week two. So he, he even though Easton played well, he, it sounds like Ellinger has a chance to, to be ahead of him. Crazy. Um, and I kind of left the door open for you there, Greg, uh, but... Since you didn't mention, I'll just ask you outright, does it matter? Because we're trying to decide what matters in week one of the preseason that the Saints had six turnovers on offense? No, that's not great. I, I, don't think it, I don't think that one matters. <laughs> I mean, we just have it just a lot seems of... seems so fluky. It seems so fluky. Yeah. It's mostly fumbles and stuff. And It just would be nice if you're a Saints fan for some good news to be coming out of you know that world. You know, at some I point. have some good news for you. The little little Jordan Humphrey, one of our um, favorites Jordan, on the show, six foot four, six foot four, actually correct. Like, um, showed up, played well. I mean, they're going to need these guys to to do it. And like, little Jordan is is my dude right now. I mean, they were the one that could have they could they they were just a quarter away from ending uh, the most storied streak in sports right now. <laughs> the Ravens preseason. Couldn't it was only off. one intercept. Wait, how many interceptions? There was only oh, it was a couple interceptions. Yeah. How about this? They each had one. They each how had about one. this? Used to be Lil Jordan Humphrey. Can we maybe? Hey. I don't want to take away Lil because I understand that he probably has a lot of uh, connections to it. There could be some personal connections to it with family and everything. But maybe just for the rest of us, because he is indeed six foot four. What is the average uh, height of uh, an American male? What five eight, five nine? No, five eleven. I think perhaps. Five eleven. That's five, that's five, disturbing. Ten. Yeah, we we've, we've been skyrocketing. I thought Let me see. Maybe disturbing. Average American male height. Five foot nine. Wow. That makes sense to me. Greg, where did you get your information from? What like did you? Where did that? You just, just boiled up, that up. It's out of always nowhere? getting tired. So if you just go like forty <laughs> and under just his age guess. group, I'm not giving up on this. Wait, age why group? did you correct us and then admit that it was just a guess? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was. It's everything's a guess. It's life. Wow. No, that was. Wait. So, Dan, you're going to attempt to change his name or ask him to change his name? Is that where you were well, going you with this? Well, you could go. Well, I'll work on it. I'll workshop it because you could. So, you could also call him not so Lil Jordan Humphrey. Okay. I mean, perhaps he doesn't want you to workshop it, but I guess it's also your hey, personal Ricky, freedom can we to. See if Jordan Humphrey is available to come on the show, maybe I'll run it by him. Maybe he'll be a good sport about it. Maybe he'll take offense to it. I That's don't. the way to do it. Yeah, I'll put the ask out. <laughs> Not email so she will never type no erica by the way remember i asked you to make the um the document 
whenever we have a guest on the show and then we have some notes like whether we like the guest, whether we want mm-hmm. them back or not. Um, like Cam Wolf was on the show. Excellent guest. Yeah. Not a hit and quit guest. We're going to want him back. Uh, yeah. We had somebody else on recently. Uh, Matt Burrows. Excellent. Great we want job. Back. Yeah. Have you actually been keeping this document? I have, but, but the, the thing is, is like, we've only had like one or two that are like on my no flies, my no fly list. You know what I mean? No, 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 I, what I asked is for us to build out an actual document so we can go back to it whenever it's like, oh, there's, uh, the Seahawks are in the news. Okay. Let's get, uh, Sean Dugar. Like that guy was great. Right. Uh, So what I'm, what I'm saying is, can you work on the doc? Cause I kind of get the feeling you've been. Kind of every time I say that, you go, yeah, yeah, I got it updated. No, I, I have time. a doc. Yeah, I can send it to you. I mean, well, I think it could, it could be a, a shared one that we could all. You could probably share it on the screen, know? right? Yeah. You could share the doc right now. No, it's on my other computer uh, right now. So I right. can't. That's yeah. like for the yeah, kids today. Google Docs don't don't transfer over <laughs> computers at all. <laughs> when we were kids, uh, when we were going to school in the 80s and 90s, it was like the old dog ate my homework type thing. Yeah. Now the kids say, oh, it's on my other laptop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Erica's like, this will take me three minutes to make and then I'll put it back up. And no, I actually I literally do have it somewhere. But I want to know who's on the no fly list, although I do know at least one of the names. Right. You know? <laughs> the no fly list. I like that. Um, all right. There you go. That's what's happening in week one of the preseason. That's what mattered. Unless there was some anybody else had like a, a Lightning nugget they wanted to throw out. I think we're moving more into not mattering territory. Yeah, so maybe right, we just, you know. Rashad, we, just because we missed it timing wise and we're not doing news, Rashad Bateman being out the first three weeks of the season is not definitely good. matters for the Ravens. I, Ravens I should have mentioned that pick when I was mentioning Well, if they keep that. winning the preseason games, then it's not an issue for anyone. In general, and there are exceptions to the rule, I guess Odell Beckham is a perfect exception to the rule. He missed all of training camp in the first month of his rookie season with the Giants and then was a superstar upon impact but in general i always get very nervous uh, any type of skill player that misses summers with an injury or misses the beginning of the season it's very hard for these guys to catch up it seems like and then the next summer trope alert it's that same rookie entering his second year i finally have a chance to make an impact and feel great like never had a chance to catch up yeah right you, i hope that doesn't happen it. with bateman but you worry about that and the ravens need bateman to make an impact so that is a, that's a big story to track all right also worth tracking our butts. No, you got to be careful in today's day and age. It's not, you shouldn't be tracking all butts. No, no, no. That's inappropriate. Right. Worry about your own butt is a good one thing to live by. I mean, we Wasn't saw. That... Um, be point, careful, you know, I've Greg. Got, I've got Courts of Thunder. Um, be careful, Greg. You, you came up with that name, Courts of Thunder, you know, my tennis podcast. Slash How's that WAT doing, by the way? Are you enjoying it still? It's been great. I mean, it's just occasional on the big, big, um, the big tournaments. We got the U.S. Open coming up here. But right. uh, Mark had. Uh, I think. No, right? that is was not that a, accurate. Was that, we talked about that on the podcast. That is not accurate. That, I don't know. That, that, that is absolutely not accurate. Show, well, you can just take that out or beep it out. <laughs> absolutely not accurate. There was no blog that existed of that nature. Not run by me. And edit point here. <laughs> All right. So you worry about your own butt. That's important. Uh, but in our capacity as a professional football analysts, we have to worry about the butts of the 32 NFL head coaches. Uh, more specifically, and I feel like it's important to be more specific uh, at this point in the conversation on the segment, uh, their job security. How hot is their butt? And I don't mean that in, 
you know, what are the buns like? Or like sure. when Mark sees Kevin Stefanski, he's talking about it in a different context. I'm talking about when you're sitting on a seat and the seat is getting hot, hot seat, hot butt, hot butt rankings right now on the Around the NFL podcast. And by the way, this is too hot for NFL.com. I wrote this column in 2019, and you know how it works in our, uh, our little world. Typically, if you write something, then the budget comes back around the next year, and you find that you have all these things lined up again for a new year. For some reason, the hot-butt rankings slipped off that <laughs> list of old Zeuser assignments. Well, what was, was the explanation? Too hot. Were you given one? It's, it was it's too much for the reader. Hot-butt was too hot for .com. But right here on the Around the NFL podcast, just the perfect amount of heat. We, we guess, can get away with a lot more on this podcast just in general. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Oh, I great. mean, I've had like the, the corrections you get on some of the stuff you attempt to write. It's like, all right, I will be, I'll simply be writing for a nine-year-old audience. It's like in, going in the podcast, I can just say people at the average height's 5'11", and you know, sometimes it slips through, sometimes it doesn't. You know? 5'11 is so tall, Greg. Not, like, I really so thought tall, it was an average I thought height. it was rising. Well, when you're as short as me, it's like everything over 5'9 is the same. I never okay. know who's taller or not. It's just like, oh, they're, they're taller. Okay. I know. I think the more issue is, Craig, that you've introduced it to Dan and I as like rock solid Oh, you fact. guys are wrong. It's actually 5'11". Right. And then 47 seconds I didn't later, you're say like, oh, that. I was just guessing. I didn't say that. I didn't say it's just, that. That's the problem right there. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we'll break it down into categories here. Okay. So what, what we're trying to do is figure out which coaches, ultimately the goal here and it's not something we celebrate, but it's our job uh, to figure out who's in the most danger as a head coach and uh, to be fired. Because every uh, Black Monday, as it's called, the Monday after the regular season ends, uh, and sometimes in the days and weeks leading up to the final game of the season, and sometimes 10 to Sometimes 14. in like week six. Yeah. Remember last year, the well, Falcons? How early was that? That was so Anyway, most things happen right after the season. But these things, ha- they could happen in the middle of the year, a week or two later. Uh, I think Doug Peterson got popped um, a couple weeks after the season ended. Uh, But anyway, there are seven new coaches this year. So there's going to be turnover. There's no way to, you can't just put your head in the sand on this and be like, oh no, everything's going to work out. Every year, about four to eight coaches will get dismissed and replaced. Um, So let's start there. So there are seven new coaches for the, for the um, process of this exercise. We view them as safe. I mean, it happens every now and then. A coach is one and done. But in the case of Arthur Smith with the Falcons, Dan Campbell with the Lions, David Culley with the Texans, Urban Meyer with the Jaguars, Brandon Staley with the Chargers, Robert Sala with the Jets, Sala Sala, and Nick Sirianni with the Eagles, we kind of keep him out of this situation. But I do want to say this, boys, and you tell me what you think. For some reason, Nick Sirianni, I get a little worried about. And Culley especially, I worry how the Texans view him organizationally, whether he's part of the future or just to handle this mess. I wonder if this is a year where we get a one and done. I think with Cully, the environment is so you know volatile that the outcomes, it, it is unpredictable. I, I think, though, you know, the one thing I heard during the Eagles broadcast was that Jason Kelsey really talked up Nick Sirianni. Now, I understand he's answering a question to the media and he's not going to say something negative, but it kind of threw me because... A lot of the kind of clunky presser stuff um, is in the rearview mirror, and it's not been the player's experience with him. So maybe, you know, first of all, I think the Eagles are a little bit better than people realize, like uh, roster-wise, especially on offense. And like, 
you know, maybe maybe it's not a disaster. I'd be surprised if they bump him after one year because Lori is pretty patient. Um, and I think they basically said we're in a new era, which it's not a rebuild, but it's Sirianni is not expected to win the Super Bowl this year. It's it's tough to lose your job after one year. Almost never happens. Chudzinski was was one. Um, Who's the last so guy? It, it feels was bad it to speculate before they even you know uh, coach a game. The only way it does happen, I think, is if the entire front like ownership blows up everything. Right, right. It, it, could that happen in Houston or Philly? Sure, if everything went crazy, but it would. That, those would both of those would would shock me. These guys do get four or five hey, Ricky, year contracts. Ricky, can you look up and find? I'm really putting you on the spot today, Ricky, and I'm sorry. I know it was you had a fun weekend yourself, um, so I apologize. Can you find out who's the last coach who is one and done um, in the NFL? Was it Chip Kelly with the Niners by I chance? Think he made two years, I think. Chip. There. No, he, Mark's right. It was, um, Ooh, was one it year. Okay. I think so. Well, let's see if that's indeed the most recent guy. All right. So then, and you guys, you mentioned it, Greg. Now we're going to talk about the guys that feel safe, very safe. And this year, Greg, it does feel like th- that list is longer than in past years. I I feel like half the league is more than half the league. I only, you know, we put it into tiers. And in the final two tiers, which is like you're kind of in trouble. What are your what are your names for it? It's like too hot to touch, close. You know the final two spots where I would say they're in a little bit of danger here. Only added up to seven names for me, and only three in the total bottom tier. So to me, I, I think the vast majority in the, of the league has to feel has to feel pretty good. And I'm just uh, remembering the Cardinals coach who got fired after one year. Uh, the oh, um, Josh Rosen year. Has helped us out with that. Steve Wilkes oh, was one and done with yeah. the Cardinals. Steve Wilkes also, um, according to this site, the one and done club coaches since 2000. Ouch. Chip Kelly, 49ers, was one. Uh, Tom Mike, Sula? Uh, yep, Tom Sula, 49ers. Sure. Malarkey with the Jaguars. Hugh Jackson with the Raiders. Jim Mora with the Seahawks. It happens. Cam Cameron with the Dolphins. Nice Art exactly. Shell with the Raiders, Schottenheimer with the uh, with the Washington Football Team. You know the ownership yeah. hasn't changed with San Francisco, but it wasn't so long ago they were a mess. So I they think were a they, huge mess. I think they fired Chip Kelly after one year and put on put in Tom Sula, right? And he got one year, and then they fired him. Like that's no wonder... pretty hardcore unrest in an organization. And we have a friend who's very tight with Tom Sula, who. Uh, that's pretty good. I mean, it's it sucks to get fired after one year, and it's your dream job, and you hope to have it forever. But he had like two or three years left on his contract, and he just made a, a ton of money sitting on his butt. The 49ers are a very strange franchise in the last 30 years. They're either like one of the best teams in the league with Jim Harbaugh or a total nightmare. Right. Like, So, Mark, for your guys that are safe, what's your list? I'm just curious what your list is. I mean, it's like... Talking totally safe, it's like 18, 19 people. I mean, it starts with Bill Belichick. It's got the Andy Reeds, Sean Payton, Sean, the three Seans, Sean McDermott, Sean McVay, John Harbaugh, Frank Reich, Ron Rivera, Matt Rules, Kevin Stefanski, Matt LaFleur, Brian Flores, Bruce Arians, John Gruden, Mike Tomlin, Kyle Shanahan, Mike Vrabel, Joe Judge. Mm, I, I have some major disagreements there. Interesting. One, one would be I have Joe Judge in my second to last uh, category. Things you would have, have to go second maybe, degree burns. 
maybe he should be if if the uh, if the season goes really wrong category. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm gonna move. They him love him though. Oh, they adore him. him up, but. Is it that bad? That uh, <laughs> that's tough. Um, well, I'm looking at it like if if a three win season happened, which which guys could be a surprise? And to me, Joe Judge, you could throw him into that mix because the Giants act like they're um all about continuity and classy and stuff, but no one's gone through coaches faster than them really over the last. Uh, you know, six years, you know, with McAdoo and it's, it hasn't been, it hasn't been great. And it, and just because of drama could happen, I, I would at least put him if I'm going to put him in the middle category, at least if something went really wrong. And I would, I would maybe even throw like rule and Tomlin in that one too. If Tomlin. things went crazy, Tomlin just signed an extension rule has a 10 year contract. Does he? Is that a thing? Rule got ten years I, also. I don't. I don't think Matt. Rule I thought it was some extensively long. It was a huge contract. Hold on. Um, that's it. So Greg, so seven year. Have, you're right. That that's crazy long. Newbies. <laughs> you should be safe. You should be safe. And then we have first degree, second degree, and third degree burns. So I have um, Joe Judge in first degree as well. No, you have moments in second degree. You're saying, but I have him. Yeah, I moved they it like once him. I thought about it. Jason like, Garrett, I would put in fifth degree right now. He might not make it through the regular season. You could see him being kind of a sacrificial lamb, um, but that's not the same as the hot coach. Different app. Uh, the Someone head coach. Did I call him the hot coach? I'm hey. still alive, only I'm very well, badly burned. Here's the thing. I know, like, for instance, Peter Schrager, who's plugged in uh, with a lot of teams. I remember Schrager talking late last season how much the Giants love Joe Judge internally. That's what I just said. I mean, the ownership yeah. could glowed over Joe they, Judge. So I just think it'd be a hard right turn. But I guess okay. my my thoughts on it are they had a unsuccessful season last year. And uh, if they struggled again badly this year, and something I think I talked about on the podcast last week, uh, maybe it was the network show, just the idea of his style of coaching, if he starts to rub guys the wrong way, um, and he's in that media market where people start chirping and you have some unnamed sources – and that becomes a sinking ship with the Giants after two years with a GM they're probably going to get rid of if it's a bad season, uh, with a quarterback they're going to dump, would they end up going down the route of let's reboot the machine? And I think Judge is vulnerable in that state. So that's why I, I kind of keep him out of the safe territory because he's in a little bit more of a volatile situation. So, uh, my okay. other first-degree guys, um, I have Fangio there, and I, I just – I don't know. Just because I do I, too. I'm with the, you. The Broncos, mm. obviously, it's an important year for them, and they're ex- even though the quarterback situation, there's a lot of question marks. I think there's expectations there. And how many years has he been there now? Is this his? This is his third. His third year. I mean, if you not a lot of coaches uh, last three years without making the playoffs, so I think it's an important year for him. And I, I think their playoff chances are coin flip at best. Um, I had, I know this is crazy, but I did have John Gruden first degree. Hmm. Not that I don't think it would happen, but I know the Raider, and it's not Al Davis anymore. It's his son, and it's a less temperamental world. Uh, but if the season really went bad, and I don't know about this Raiders team, if the season really went off the rails and things were going really poorly, could John Gruden at least be a, a disgust? Uh, and then my last uh, name I had in first degree uh, was Pete Carroll, um, for all the reasons we've talked about this summer, that if, if things go sideways with Russell Wilson again, and the organization has to decide between the 32-year-old superstar quarterback and the nearly 70-year-old head coach. 
it, it makes sense who wins that battle. We were very similar in, on that sense. I had Pete Carroll, and we're talking if things went absolutely nightmarish and, you know, Wilson's out the door or something like that. I had Fangio. Um, I put Mike Zimmer in there just because... I don't know. Um, if, if it were an absolute disaster, maybe they finally move on there. And I put Mike McCarthy because I understand that, you know, we've got our great ball coach and all this other business. But if they go, if they had a horrific season in the NFC East and you got Jerry Jones thinking, this is what I think this team is, and Mike McCarthy delivers like a, a steaming egg, um, I could see them making a change there. Ew, steaming egg. That's gross. I'm with you. I, um, I really wrestled with McCarthy um, and I ended up putting him in second degree. I have Same him here. Zimmer as well, uh, just because Zimmer is he's been there a long time, and they have a lot of issues there. Um, and then I have Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury in uh, second degree as well. Yep, I had that's a, that's my exact second degree as well. I have McCarthy, Zimmer. I think I think they probably need to have winning records. You know, need to have things go well. And Cliff Kingsbury's maybe in that same category. Uh, Whereas it basically his offense needs to be good. If they went eight and nine or nine and eight and like Kyler plays well, I think he'd be okay. Um, he's an offensive coach. The the one big disagreement I have, I had your exact same third degree, Dan, though, is I have Fangio in, in uh, your butts on fire. Um, third degree. I just, I just think he's in a win or else year. There's a new GM there. Anyone? Can someone call an ambulance? I can quite a lot I, I love Fangio. I think if his defense shows up and he's a top five defense and they're a good team, he'll be fine. But I think he is close to as much of a win or else mandate as any coach in the league. John Elway is basically out of the building. He's the guy who hired Fangio. By by our reports on NFL Network, Elway's job is essentially ceremonial. And there's there's new ownership, which is coming. One of the messiest stories in the NFL. One of I think probably right up there um, for the league with Deshaun Watson. Um, I think the Broncos' ownership situation might be like the story number one that is on the league office's radar right now in terms of being a problem for the NFL. So that could be changing. You have a new GM, and uh, you're in your third year. So you're right. Coaches almost never get a fourth year unless they make the playoffs. So I, I think Fangio, I love them. I think they'll be good. But if they don't win, I would expect them to to lose it third degree burns do we we're all in agreement here Nagy and Zach Taylor it sounds yeah like, right it seemed like an easy those that was my list was Taylor Nagy and, and Fangio yeah I guess yeah the reason I had Nagy and Taylor it just they just seem in a whole other place where they are you know they need results and I guess Fangio does too it just feels like a little bit more of a desperation situation with Taylor who in over two years nobody really knows what to make of him and if they have a bad year and a burrow doesn't progress, it makes all the sense in the world actually to kind of hit refresh on that organization. And Nagy, we talked about this forever, so there's no real reason to dig in too deep. The only way Nagy's job is saved is if Justin Fields, I think, has a big-time rookie season. Otherwise, you would think the Bears are going to move on. But then again, they've been very patient with Nagy over the past couple of years. And I think if things went, let's say Fields was, you could see it, but the coaching staff wasn't able to deliver it. Sometimes like the new quarterback buys new life for the GM and for the coaching staff, but it could be the opposite if someone somewhere in Chicago, I don't think their ownership seems too involved to me on some level kind of hands off. But if they were like, wait a minute, we have this precious jewel. We've got the wrong people surrounding them. Blow the whole thing up. Right. I mean, if you think about that last draft class, um, you know, with, with Lamar, obviously Harbaugh was fine, but like Darnold, a couple coaches, 
Baker, a couple coaches. Like it, yeah. The the new, you know, Josh Rosen got you know was part of getting his coach fired. Like the new quarterback doesn't necessarily keep your job. There you go. So yeah, this is it. Does feel like a time of um, relative calm, but we named it like for me anyway. I have nine coaches that are at some level of danger, and you know, the only thing that could happen. Because, you know, who knows? But, like, the only thing that could happen, some of those coaches we label as safe, something could change, whether there's things we don't know going on behind the scenes with power struggles or maybe a season really goes off the rails and, you know, there's some, again, something bad happens in a, in a meeting between the bosses. It's like things can change, but it just does feel like a time where there's so many guys that are really anchored with the organization. Um, and then even guys like a Matt Rule coming off a so-so first season, but his job security is built into his contract. Same thing with John Gruden. Uh, He's entering, I believe, year four of a 10-year deal. So do the Raiders, even if they are not really, even if they have buyer's remorse at the end of this year, are they going to swallow the pill of paying a guy for six years on top of paying a new coach's salary? Those things come into play as well. I take back what I said about Rule. That was wrong. I forgot about this. The seven years thing. I was just yeah, thinking seven if it went years, really, 60 million. I was just thinking if it w- went really south and Tepper is just Matt like, Rule's what are we doing here? What, Matt Rule is, first of all, Matt Rule, like most people a year ago thought, <laughs> the Panthers are going to win one game. They looked like no, the worst team in the job. league. Right. He did a good job. But, I'm not saying I'm just he saying, didn't. Seven but he's a contract guy. There's and no if, hot butt. If, you know? This is where, and he's going to learn this if Dar- you know, Darnold needs to work because if he didn't, that's back-to-back years. He went out of his way to give two-year commitments to quarterbacks that don't work, and that that is a tough way to start your coaching career. But the uh, the seven-year deal should save him. No matter they what. also like look at like they had a chance. They could have gone and got Justin Fields. They could have pursued a rookie, and they pursued Sam Darnold. I think that kind of thing, optics-wise, could c- create a huge mess. We shall. Good stuff. Good show. Another big another big week for around the NFL. We'll be back on Thursday with another podcast, the television show. When's it airing this week? Wednesday. On Wednesday, yeah. How about that? Wednesday on NFL Network, the Around the NFL broadcast. We heard from a uh, shadowy league figure that our uh, telecast that aired ahead of the preseason kickoff between the Washington football team and Patriots on Thursday did a nice number. That's good. Well, I mean, the ratings have been through the roof. I mean, I find it, to some degree we're carrying the network through this busy month. If you want well, to look serious. at it that way, it, 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 I'm not joking. It did a good. I number. am too. I I heard the the numbers. Our ratings are not through very the roof impressive. The television. That's that's a bit right. Unless I I, I am hearing other other things that, that we're just, carrying. I mean, yeah. Put yeah. us on. Put us Magnetic. on prime time, Dad. You know, six. Put us on six six to seven p.m. Eastern before a game. This is where this show belongs. We need more more of it, please. Maybe we should take these comments actually to a shadowy league figure instead of no. Nope, let's just passive aggressively mention it in the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> right. Minute fifty nine. What a career we are carving out. Um. All right. Good stuff. Thank you to Ricky for doing all that work today. And she's working. She's scrambling on her own dossier now, building out that uh, uh, guest template. I really am happy about that, and I'm proud to have you. With us, Erica. Dan is like the coaches. What are you about losing his yeah, like, uh, player? What? Like she's really gonna tune out now if we keep pushing her. <laughs> what? 
Um, thank you, Dan. That was really. That was no, nice. we're just like looking forward to the. Uh, it's very genuine, if nothing else. Yeah, exactly. It felt so heartfelt and really, really great. Great. Well, okay, back to it. Thank you. <laughs> and we'll be back at it again on Wednesday on the television, on Thursday in your ears, podcast style. Until then, he's a call.